Friends, there's a lot to report on what's happening at the front lines of faith. Having just returned from Romania, Moldova, and Ukraine, we've seen firsthand how the Church is stepping up in amazing ways to serve and save those being driven out of Ukraine by Putin's war. These pastors, congregations, and volunteers have put themselves on the line for the gospel and for their fellow man. We need to support them. The interview you'll hear today is one of those amazing servants. Since the Iron Curtain fell in 1989, this gentleman has been actively supporting and encouraging the kingdom in Ukraine and all the other Eastern European nations through an ambitious network of creative thinkers, artists, and worship leaders. His arts festival held in numerous countries for almost 20 years drew tens of thousands from dozens of nationalities and languages. The work continues to have a lasting impact on how the gospel is transforming that part of the world. And it's one of the amazing untold stories behind how Ukraine came to be the democratic nation that it is today. It's painful to visit how much suffering has befallen so many friends and ministry partners, but it's essential. And it will give you important insight into the large-scale spiritual war being fought over the same territories that Empire is contesting now. And again, please support the work of the Church in Ukraine through our Serve Ukraine project. I'll tell you how later in the program. Today on Compassion Radio. In Christianity, we allow people to be Messianic Jews so they can still be Jewish, but they're Jesus-believing. And I said, how, how can we do that for other cultures like you know, Islam? How do we let people still be? My culture is, is Islamic. My culture is this, but I'm a Jesus-believing Muslim. I read somewhere that we'll be the same people in a few years, except for the people we meet and the books we read. I think in a lot of important ways, that's true. Hello and welcome to Compassion Radio, the daily journal of what God's kingdom servants really go through as they go about serving God wherever He sends them. Sometimes it's down the street, and sometimes it's somewhere around the world. Often it's both. Randall Morgan is what an earlier generation might have called a renaissance man. The child of a tight-knit and insular community of fundamentalist Christians in the South, he found himself at odds with a notion of God as fire-breathing, unplacable, and bent on the destruction of sin and all who do it. This dissonance with what he felt to be true led him away from that faith and into a no-man's land open to the world, but empty of purpose. So Jesus went looking for him, like he does, in a way that let Randall rediscover what God was really like. And Randall chased after this new God he'd never really known, with a newfound desire to know and serve him with all his heart. Now that pursuit led him to know and help seekers and servants all over the newly opened Eastern Bloc nations. His Sozo Arts Festivals led countless more to experience their own renaissance of faith. Along the way, he made dear friends in dozens of nations, including Ukraine. We'll pick up our conversation now with a recap of yesterday's program. Thanks for joining us today. Are there any other places that may not make the uh, the news because they're not one of the bigger cities, but have a real dear place in your heart because of the ministry that God had you do there or people that you met, which have become lifelong friends? I mean, honestly, I couldn't even tell you where all of them are. But yes, the many years we traveled 
in different aspects from east to west of Ukraine. The number of people, the faces that run through my mind, the places that I can't even remember which village it was in. But uh, yes, there are so many people and so many stories like you were just saying. You know, my friend Katya, who when she crossed the border with Timothy, and he's he's also about eight to 10. And now, um, you know, he cries for his dad. He, yeah. he wants his dad and he's afraid for his dad. You know, and my other friend, Sasha, who took his wife, Sveta, and they're four-month-old baby. It was just Christmas that they were celebrating their first Christmas together as a young family, sending pictures and smiling and just so blessed. And now they're separated. And he's in the park now they're where they're air raid and they're trying to get their church people underground to be protected. So as I look geographically across that nation, I, I just see a flood of faces. And, and as you just pointed out, there are millions more. I don't know. You don't know. There's just the stories are endless. And the pain is endless. I saw on a news thing about a little boy who crossed by himself because yeah. his parents had to send him out. And I just wanted to go hug that kid. You know, I think, well, yeah. gosh, how scary is that at 10, 12 years old to leave your country and go into another country alone? And take a trip for him, even just a number of miles, which would be as far as going from New York to past Washington, D.C. He went that far on his own. Yes. Yeah, those stories yeah. are going to be pouring out more and more over the, the months to come. I think what scares me the most right now is that the news we're not getting from certain cities means that they are so hammered with the onslaught of the bombings that they can't even get the word out. There's like maybe one or two reporters even left in Mariupol, and there's still hundreds of thousands of people hunkered down that can't leave. Of course. And of course. We, have, we have a story of mankind moving, of this great shift in migration out of the country of 4 million people already. It's a country of 40 million. It's as big as California right. in a population. But that also means that it's not just a pile of men waiting for a fight left in Ukraine right now. It's still full of tens of millions of vulnerable, non-fighting people, women, children, that are still there trying to find a way out of the increasingly narrow pipelines that are available to them. And of course, we need to be praying for that. So give me a tour of the prayers. What are they telling you? Please pray for this. I just hear the most thing I hear is pray for peace, pray for safety, pray for, pray that we will see our families again. Mm. You know, I got a message from one of them saying, would you promise me, please, that you'll make sure my wife and child have a future, mm. found a new place to live in a new country. And that's the thing, kind of almost a resignation to I'm not going to come out of this. Mm. I have another friend who texts me every morning and says, I'm alive. That's his first, yeah. he, he calls me dad, dad, I'm alive. And I know that because that weighs heavy on him. Yeah. Of course, every day if you, you go to sleep tonight, will you wake up tomorrow? Proof of life really means something at a time like this. Absolutely. And, you know, here in Nashville, we have what, 300, 400 Afghan refugees at the moment. Mm -hmm. So we've been providing food for them. Well, let's give me a new appreciation for what they must yes. feel. I, I've always understood to some degree because I've lived internationally. But the reality is when I go see them, we go take food baskets and stuff to them. They've left everything. Sometimes in America, we mean well, but we think everyone wants to be American. I saw that also in England. Everyone wants to be <laughs> British. You know what? They don't. They don't. They want to be in their country. They love their environment. Even if it looks like desert to us, it's beautiful to them because that's their life. That's where they were raised. They know how to bring life out of those places they live in, and they want well, life absolutely. to come from. Absolutely. So it's a, it's a hard place for many, many people who are displaced in this world. Okay. So you mentioned things like peace reuniting with their family, a future and a hope for their children. Those are the things that they're praying for. They're asking you as their friend, their intimate friend, to pray for them on these issues. We expand that to the kingdom of God, saying these are your brothers and sisters literally in the kingdom. 
and there's going to be a time to return day where you get the chance to know all these people. <laughs> That's the marvelous part about the kingdom for me. Absolutely. But it doesn't mean we have to wait till eternity to actually make connections. And that's why he's called us to live here and be part of things that seem so incredibly cruel and impossible. We look at that and say, it can't happen like this. It shouldn't happen. Why is it happening? And it couldn't happen here. We say all those things to ourselves because we have the luxury of stepping outside of it and analyzing it. Armchair quarterbacking. And yet yeah. for them... Tomorrow is literally not guaranteed, and the world they knew last December at Christmas time does not exist anymore, and yet something does. The idea that is Ukraine, when the president of Ukraine says they can destroy these cities, they can burn them to ash, but they cannot conquer Ukraine. Absolutely. And that is a spiritual statement as much as anything else. So I'm going to ask you now to pivot to the harder question. In a world where... We still have our favorites. We still resonate with people who seem like us on the face of it. They smile like us or they talk like us. They have mannerisms like us. It's easier for us to identify with them because we can literally see ourselves where they are. The empathy comes from us easily. It doesn't always come easily from us for people who act, look, talk, sing, or smell differently than us when they approach us. We feel anotherness. And there's a whole group across all of Europe, really. That is known for being about as other as you can be in history, and that's the Roma people, which is a tribe that migrated its way out of India sometime after the Alexandrian conquest and ended up settling all kinds of parts of Russia and West into Europe. And it's a very, very large and diverse community, but they would identify genetically and culturally and somewhat musically and linguistically with each other still. And they are the ones that are now caught in the middle. And yet you have personal relationships within that community. So tell me what you've learned about the Roma in that part of Europe. Well, yeah, I love the Roma people. But now, do I know that there are evil Roma people? Of course, they're, they're evil. Many white people, many black people, they're just evil people in this world, right? But when I go to Mukachevo to, to see Carlos and his family, I always stay in the in the camp. I stay with them in their home because I don't want to stay in the hotel downtown and go back and forth because it communicates something that I don't want to communicate. So I love being there, walking down the street in the morning. And it's not paved street. It's like there's places in that camp that has sewage in the streets, people who live cooking their meal with just a blanket between them and their old tired horse that they use to scrape out some kind of a living. And that's not because they prefer to have a very rudimentary lifestyle. It's literally because the law has prevented them from taking advantage of any public works projects. Like the townships in South Africa for the past 150 Absolutely. years, Absolutely. they were forbidden from actually connecting to water supplies and sewer supplies. They were just cut out. And they figured that if we just disown them and just ignore them, they will go away. And that was the attitude of most of the governments of Eastern Europe for 100 years. Right, right. Absolutely. And I think in, in Mukachevo, I know, sadly, at least the last time I was there, which has now been a few years ago, uh, I was told, you know, we need to use the bathrooms during this time because the, the city will cut the water off hmm. at some, per, certain times of the day. And probably one of the more telling things is going to see the schools, to see Ukrainian school, how modern they were, and the Hungarian schools as well there in, in Mukachevo, but the gypsy schools. It was horrible. Like walking up the steps, there was a crack in the steps where they'd separated. It was dangerous. I mean, an adult could have fallen, much less a child. And the library was a closet, you know, had books stacked to the top of it. But, you know, we have this sometimes, sadly, this mentality, well, that's 
who they are. That's all they can do. That's all they can afford or that's all they deserve. The closest analog we have linguistically for us would be simply say that we have a community in Europe that pretty much is under Jim Crow. So yeah, for us, yeah, that history, yeah, yeah. Jim Crow is not just a place or a certain rule. It is an entire worldview that suppresses and oppresses and justifies oppression. Absolutely. So that's the kind of things they're going through now. For 78 years now, we've depended on the faithful encouragement of friends just like you to bring this unique radio and media ministry to the air each day. As I mentioned at the top of the program, we have a very special giving opportunity for a special offering to the church in Ukraine, and we need to stand with them. Our toll-free order line is 1-800-868-2478. That's 1-800-868-2478. If you need to call early or late, that's okay. Just make sure to leave your name and phone number, and we'll get back to you immediately when the doors open each business day. You can also give anytime online at CompassionRadio.com. And if you prefer to put a stamp on it, you can always find us at Compassion Radio, P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Another really simple and effective way to give to the needs in Ukraine is through our text-to-give option. Just text Serve Ukraine, that's one word, to 53445 and give right through your phone. And let others know they can give right to real needs of kingdom brothers and sisters as they care for refugees pouring into all the other East Bloc countries. They know what they're doing, and they're doing it all in the name of Jesus. So please, give generously through our Serve Ukraine project. Again, just type Serve Ukraine, one word, to 53445. And please give what you can today. And now, back to the interview. It is a worldview that suppresses and oppresses and justifies oppression. Absolutely. So that's the kind of things they're going through now. Yeah, and education. You know, my my friends there, because they have been to the festival in Hungary and other places in the world now, some of them, because they were part of a band called Amado Del, and they want to raise their kids they want to educate their kids because they know that that's the way out. That is you yeah. get education. But I remember some years ago, uh, Madonna, who's a, just like a goddess in Eastern Europe, uh, <laughs> yeah. she performed in Bucharest. Yeah. And she made a statement in the concert, from what I hear from friends who were there, that she said Europe has to take on the Roma issue. And they booed her. I'm going, yeah. okay, you don't booed. Madonna was a huge thing. But I do think Europe has to, we have to focus on this. How can we really help these people? They're, they're nomadish by their nature. As yeah. you said, they immigrated or they moved over from India. Hitler killed many of them that are not even recorded because yeah. they don't sense this well because they're suspicious of government. So they're just layers of issues that we have to help, I think. And, and Europe, I hope, will take that on. And honestly, Eastern Europeans, as much as I love them, they can be very prejudiced against their own people. Yes, anybody can. And the point for me about identifying how they live, it's not even fully itinerant anymore. There used to be like minstrel bands that traveled all through the world. Sure. But sure. they're more stayed now because they're more anchored because of the need for growing communities. Once you get to a certain size, you can't travel anymore. You have to have communities. But they have a whole lot more, I think, in common with the culture and the family clan idea that the Bedouins and the early Hebrews did in the Old Testament for the way they use the land, the way they travel, the way they make a living. They would identify more with that culture that we read about in the Bible than they do with modern culture that is urban-based and has differentiation of skills and needs taken care of, like professional farming versus manufacturing, all that kind of stuff is distributed across a society. 
they are complete within themselves, really. They're self-sufficient in a lot of ways. And even if the whole world disappeared, they could probably keep surviving. But that also makes them look very other. But I want to make that point, though. I think they have a lot in common. And the way we could approach them culturally and spiritually is on the level of what the Word of God says already, the way the Psalms sing to us, the way we speak about being in a safe place, in a safe tower, a safe God. They understand those concepts. Right. Right. They absolutely do. And I, as you're talking, I'm reminded of pictures that I have, probably some photo album stuff somewhere in my closet of Romania. And back in, uh, this was, gosh, this is 30 years ago. And you'd pass on the highway, you'd look over and you'd see a basically a wagon train in a circle. Mm-hmm. And it was the gypsy caravans. They had their horses and they they traveled that way. And in the campgrounds, I remember a Roma group in the campground there, and probably in Sibiu area. And man, they have, were having the best time. M- music yeah. and laughter and dance. And so maybe a cheeky American, I just, and very extroverted, I just went over and pretty soon I was dancing with them, you know, or went to, <laughs> to, you know, like a big circle dance type thing. But, you know, just an amazing people. They really have community in their hearts, as you're saying as well. They have community in their hearts, but suspicious of outside inner influences. And you know what? Mm. I understand that. They, they don't want to be drawn into the craziness of the Western world on some levels, and yet to survive and to grow and to be blessed and to prosper financially, they need to be drawn in. So yeah. how do we do that? How do we allow them to be? You know, I've often said it's true of Christians and Muslims. You know, in Christianity, we allow people to be Messianic Jews so they can still be Jewish mm-hmm. and still, you know, but they're Jesus believing. And I said, how, how can we do that for other cultures? Like, you know, Islam, how do, how do we let people still be? My culture is, is Islamic. My culture is this, but I'm a Jesus-believing Muslim. Yeah, when you tell stories, which I have told many times before, of people who talk about going to the mosque so they can pray to Isa, and they're following all of the Islamic strictures within their particular brand of Islam, whether it's Sunni or Shia or Sufi, and they go through all the forms of worship, but they speak to Isa one-on-one as God's son, as the son of man, which they understand within Islam. And they know exactly who they're praying to, but they're not yeah. afraid of where they're doing it. Of course. Of course. And we look at that from the outside of Christianity and say, well, that's the den of evil right there. You're going to be that's in the right. middle of hell while you're trying. You can't do that there. You have to come out. They have come out in a way that God has enabled them to. And they also within living within an inch of hell to love their brothers and sisters in their own culture. They haven't given up on them. They love them. So tell me about the culture then of the Roma. When you see them worshiping. How how are the churches set up, and what have they been able to contribute to the kingdom life there in Europe? Well, I don't know what they... The, people love the music, so yeah. that's really their known fame, if you will. Mm-hmm. Even even in nice hotels in downtown Budapest, you know, you hear gypsy bands go in there, because it's very energetic, and yeah. it's very up, or it's very sad, and mm-hmm. very, you know, kind of... Lament. Um, yes, yeah, absolutely. That's the positive, but it's also the negative, and people say, oh, they don't want to work. They just want to play their music. Well, you know what? Isn't that true of all of us that we, <laughs> anywhere we're proud of and we've been complimented on and we've been you know, encouraged, that is where we thrive. That's where we do well. Yeah. So how can we expect them to be any different? They are accepted in society if they're musical, but not for any other reason. So then what are you going to do? You're going to play your music. You're <laughs> You know, how do you aspire to be a doctor if you've been raised in a gypsy camp and, and all you know is music 
not all you know is music, but you know what I'm saying, that that's kind of been a point of pride for them, with gypsy music is well known in the world. There aren't many doctoral dissertation programs or medical schools that travel with an itinerant group of people. They are grounded and they're based on the societies that were willing to build those institutions. So the institution that you see within an itinerant community are a whole lot different in structure and in feel. That's why I think they have a lot more in common with biblical times and modern times. And yet it's being transformed. So the kind of music that ends up in worship, what, what have you sensed when they brought that music to you at your Sozo festivals? What did they contribute that was unique and distinctive that everyone benefited from? Well, everyone loved at the festival, not, I won't say everyone, because you've always had people who would probably hide their prejudice. But overall, people really warmed to to the Amado Del Band at, at the festival because they were warm people. And we also provided for them leading up to the festival. We have about three days of staff where they put the festival together. We put the tents up when we do set the stage up and the sound and the lights and all that. I remember one of them telling me that they had never he was not my age, but probably about 20 years younger than my age, but he'd been around a while. And he said he had never been given responsibility before. Hmm. And he was so appreciative, not only for the responsibility, but the fact that no matter what he did, everyone said, that's great. You did a good job because it felt good. He was being affirmed. He yeah. didn't probably was not a raised from a society or background or even home, but to just watch them and then being part of worship with them, the, the excitement and the joy they brought to it. You know, when you've been downtrodden, when you've been forgotten to praise the Lord and to realize that you're part of a family that's much bigger than just your own little group, yeah. there's joy in that. And so to, to join with them to sing and praise in the same. And they oftentimes, the band would play some songs in English and we'd worship with them. And then they would do their Ukrainian songs slash Hungarian songs and Romanian songs. Just an amazing people. I, I love them very much. I communicate with my brother Carlos and Ruslan and those guys almost every day. You know, So I, I miss them and I hope to eventually get back over there. So what's your read on this right now? In the midst of all of this wave of refugee humanity and all the displaced persons throughout Ukraine right now, what are their prospects, them as a community and them as Ukrainians? What do they do next? And how are they coping with all of the dislocations they see around them? Sadly, I think, I mean, actually, probably the good news is I think a lot of people in, in Poland and Hungary and area have taken everyone in they can. Sadly for the Roma people is that generally only Roma people will take Roma people in. So uh, um, because there's that still that distrust or we don't you know, we don't want them in our homes for prejudice reasons and everything. But I don't know what the future holds. And I, I'm saddened not only for the Ukrainians and the Romas and the Hungarians and the, and the Poles, all those that, that border the Moldovans, Romanians. But I'm sad for the Russians as well. Mm, they don't want amen. this war. You know, these guys have heard thought they were going on a reconnaissance kind of thing or training in Crimea. And all of a sudden they find them invading. Well, they weren't even set up. They didn't have the food. They didn't have the, the necessity set up for them. So they're hungry as well. Mm. You know, I know there's not a lot of sympathy for them right now, but I have sympathy for them because they're just 18, 19, 20 year old guys who just want to go home. And when they do surrender, they have been captured. You, know, you saw, you've seen pictures of people giving them their Ukrainian phones so they could call their moms. Well, that brings me to tears. Mm. You know, I might go, of course. Anyway, I, I don't know what the future holds, and probably we don't need to get into our opinions of Putin. But the reality is, the church needs to stand up. 
I think it is to some degree. Sadly, I think there's a lot of churches here in America who could do so much more than we're doing mm. because we're still caught up in talking about how much we do versus doing. Okay, well, take up the task then. What is it that we could be doing more of? You're going to get me in trouble, aren't you? Um, yeah, why not? I'm the one taking the hits here, so it's my program. <laughs> Don't worry about it. I think, I mean, I think the churches, especially in Eastern Europe, have really, or in, in Western Europe, have done well. But, you know, because they don't have the resources. Most churches in Europe are not rich churches. Mm-hmm. We are so used to big churches here. I was thinking about this yesterday as a major big black Tahoe almost ran over me on the street and it pulled away from me and it drive, you know, driving way too fast in a parking lot. I noticed the fish on the back of it. And I thought, and God is good. I'm going, well, would God be good if you drove just a piece of junk? You know, yeah. <laughs> so which I know is very judgmental, but reality is we have so many resources and we, and we love to talk about what we do. Um, and I think everyone should read when helping hurts out of the yeah. Chalmers center in Chattanooga, because you, you and I both would know what that looks like being in missions for so many years and being overseas. We want to make ourselves feel better by throwing food or supplies at people, but we're not really there for the long haul to train them up and to yeah. help them change their lives. And that is disappointing. If I boiled it down to like one statement, I think it encapsulates the idea of what it means for when helping hurts is when we go somewhere and insist on being a savior and not serving a savior, we really screw things up. We end up coming over people rather than under them. And there's never been a time where I've seen success happen in ministry where God didn't make the point clear to us. You are not here to show anything or to demonstrate anything or to teach anything. You are here to come under what I'm already doing here through the people I've already placed here. Absolutely. If you're willing to go under, you will lift up and I will lift you up on that day. Absolutely. That's the message that always has come through to me. And it takes a, it's a difficult discipline though, when you've always sensed that you're coming to bring something to people rather than coming to learn something from God's people. My thanks to Randall Morgan for sharing his insight and hope for the future of Ukraine with us today. He'll be back for one more program as we finish our discussion on what's next for Kingdom Servants in the new Eastern Europe. I hope you'll tune in then. Thanks for joining us today. Send your special gift for the church in Ukraine today. Call 1-800-868-2478 or give online at CompassionRadio.com. You can also give to our Serve Ukraine project right through your phone by texting Serve Ukraine, that's one word, to 53445. God bless, and we'll see you tomorrow.